Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. And we had hoped to do a live room in Louisville last week, though that never quite came together on our end. But I am back from the championship. And in the end, uh, this week's guest, Claire Watkins of Southside Trap Pod, and who's been covering the NWSL for a number of outlets, including Just Women Sports, we're only just going to touch on that championship game thanks to the latest investigative report on an NWSL ho- head coach. But before I fill you in on that report and all of the other news and we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to, to show your support of full-time plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. It's not quite Black Friday or Cyber Monday yet, and hey, we have U.S. Women's National Team matches coming up over the holiday too, but right now, you can subscribe for just $1 a month for 12 months. If you go to theathletic.com slash full-time before midnight on Monday, November 29th, you can lock in our best deal of the year. Again, $1 a month, and you're putting that dollar every single month as a show of support for our women's soccer coverage by subscribing off any NWSL or U.S. Women's National Team story or at theathletic.com slash full-time. Thank you again. You've heard my my spiel on subscriptions and why they matter so, so much, and they matter so, so much. So do it now while you can. It's, it's just such a good deal. All right. Let's start with our main focus of today's show. Molly Hensley-Clancy of The Washington Post published an investigative report on Monday concerning what... Her report describes as, quote, verbal and emotional abuse, controlling, berating, and humiliating players, and breaking the boundaries of the player-coach relationship for former Chicago Red Stars head coach Rory Dames. Kristen Press, Jen Hoy, and Samantha Johnson all spoke on the record for the story, and Press detailed how she tried to report Dames twice to U.S. Soccer, once directly to former U.S. Soccer President Sunil Gulati in 2014, and then via an actual investigation in 2018. On Sunday night, the Chicago Red Stars emailed a statement accepting Dames' resignation at 11.54 Central Time before Hensley Clancy's story was published, and in a quote attributed to the team only, not a single actual person at this club, they said, quote, Under Rory's leadership, we have been a remarkably consistent and excellent club on the field. We continually evaluate our team and front office environment and giving the dynamic change underway in the league it is time to begin the next chapter of the Red Stars with a search for new leadership of the team. The Red Stars also promised more details regarding the search process and other changes to the organization soon. Now, following this post report, the club released another statement, again, attributed to no one but in quote marks that read, we stand with the players who are fiercely advocating for change, and we are committed to doing our part to ensure a safe environment for the league's players, staff, volunteers, and fans. In conjunction with our players, the Chicago Red Stars several weeks ago initiated an independent review of player health and safety and the team's culture and work environment. We intend to implement any recommendations in that review that will strengthen our ability to empower our players to ensure that everyone's voice is heard and to foster an environment of continual growth. A lot more discussion on this with Claire in just a few moments, and if you'd like a read on it, I wrote a column on Monday evening about the state of the NWSL. It's available on The Athletic. If I sound tired right now, it's because I used a lot of my anger writing that column. As for the championship itself, the Washington Spirit won 2-1 after the game, went to extra time with Andy Sullivan providing a penalty kick equalizer, then Trinity Rodman providing the service directly to Kelly O'Hara's head for the winning goal. 
10,360 fans attended at Lynn Family Stadium, and the television numbers are in as well. 525,000 people watched the match on CBS. Pablo Mara had the game feature and a great read on Trinity Rodman on Saturday, who absolutely excelled in this match despite the physicality. She was noticeably holding her lower back for a large portion of the match. That's been bugging her for a while. There's a link in the show notes if you missed it this weekend. With the conclusion of the season, we're also about to get into trade season, but we got an early announcement on Monday with center back Abby Dahlkemper becoming the first player signed to the San Diego Wave. I also cannot explain to you how the league qualified her short-term deal with Houston to not be alone, but no matter what, the trade was completed between the North Carolina Courage and the Wave. North Carolina picked up a staggering $190,000 in allocation money, plus San Diego's natural first-round draft pick in 2023. It's a very expensive deal for Jill Ellis and Casey Stoney. Now, here's the timeline leading up to the NWSL expansion draft on December 16th. The trade and waiver window closes on Friday, December 3rd at 1 p.m. Eastern. By 5 p.m. Eastern that day, the classic one here, quote, all previously unannounced trades are announced to all teams. That doesn't necessarily mean the public, but just other teams. December 9th, the end of the season process concludes. The protected list for the expansion draft from the teams are due on Friday, December 10th at noon Eastern, and the league does threaten a small fine if anyone is late here. By 5 p.m. Eastern that night, they will be sent to the teams, and hopefully shortly thereafter, we can all spend a wild Friday night online trying to game plan the expansion draft to the best of our abilities. Finally, the U.S. Women's National Team is in Australia now. They'll face off against the Matildas twice. First up, it will be Friday night here for us in the U.S., but technically they are playing in the future from Saturday in Sydney at Stadium Australia. Here we're going to be watching it Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on FS2. Yes, keep that in mind, FS2. Then they go again Tuesday morning at 4.05 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. All right. Claire Watkins covers the NWSL Just Women Sports, but you've seen her byline plenty of other places as well, including Equalizer Soccer. She's also one half of Southside Trap Pod, which covers the Chicago Red Stars. And we had <laughs> joked a little bit at halftime of the NWSL Championship when the Red Stars were up one nothing. that her and Sandra Herrera were obviously the guests for the podcast this week. But then, you know, everything happened. Um, but we were still right that Claire was the best person to talk to. So... Here we go. All right. Um, so I honestly, I, I don't even really know where to start because it feels like we've lived a lifetime in the past six days mm-hmm. where we all survived Louisville and then came back to real life and came back to the NWSL as we know it in 2021. So I guess let's start with Monday okay. because I feel like that's going to be the the bigger thing, once again, kind of the good part of the NWSL being overshadowed by the bad part of the NWSL. Right. But as as someone who has covered Chicago, like first, I just really wanted to give you the space to kind of talk through the Chicago side of this and maybe what your initial reaction was and, and now that you've gotten a night to sleep on it. Yeah, I think um, I think initial emotions a lot of them right a lot of emotions um and i will say that i'm gonna you know i'm gonna say stuff that i think people a lot of stuff that people already know but um you know i ultimately the first thing you do when some of this stuff comes out is you make sure that like the low-level staffers at that club are okay right you reach out to the people who don't have power in that situation and see how they are doing and it's not going to shock anybody to hear that they're not doing great um And then from there, you know, the seeing the resignation. So that happens first. Right. And it's an email sent to media that is not acknowledged on socials or anything like that. I don't think it ever was actually put up on the team's official website, just an email. And I was I can't say I was surprised, um, but it still felt a little bit surreal just in like. I don't think I ever necessarily thought this was going to happen. And so it actually happening came with a lot, but I have to be honest, one of the emotions was relief because 
when you don't know if these stories are ever necessarily going to be told or if people are going to be removed, when that does happen, it's not all negative feelings, right? It's like, wow, it feels like maybe now we can actually move forward um, in a way that is good. So still kind of, yeah, still kind of processing all of it. It's very hard. um, But ultimately, yeah, I think that there's a little bit of relief mixed in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what my experience reporting the Paul Riley stuff, what I learned was, you know, there's the day before and the day Mm -hmm. after, right? Right. And one of the things, you know, you brought up the fact that the Chicago Red Stars accepted Rory Dames' resignation. There was this kind of one nice sentence and then kind Mm -hmm. of like we've got to look at our internal culture, right? And then... Um, I, I do kind of want to talk about kind of this before and after of when you know something is coming, right? This statement mm-hmm. drops at 1154 central time yes, <laughs> at, on Sunday night. Right. And I mean, it's interesting because I think they got it slightly more right than what happened with Paul Riley, right? Where it was kind of everybody just waited mm-hmm. for the story to land, right? Like there was at least some semblance of action taken. But one of the things that I'm really, I've been struggling to wrap my head around with this whole season, but this whole reporting process too, is just like, what is the responsibility of the teams, right? And I don't think that there is an easy answer, but this, what's happening before, right? And then also to see the statement, and I wrote about this in my column, the statement that Chicago released right after the Paul Riley story in terms of their own inward look, at the culture and if players feel safe, right? All of this sort of stuff. Again, it still takes an external report to make it happen, but you have this statement the night before you have the story happen. And then there is another follow-up statement right. last night. Right. And then ultimately also, I think Chicago locals one, one, three, four statement, mm-hmm. which was the strongest. Yep. <laughs> Not that that's surprising, right? That an external group is able to, to be more powerful, but I just, I don't know if the NWSL has really learned any lessons in terms of making this any easier on themselves. Yeah, I mean, you, I I can only, again, sort of, I can say for me that um, the lack of pro, and, and this is going to be probably a theme in all of this, is I think one of the underrated elements of these situations with these clubs is that they're confusing a lot of times, um, especially someone who is trying to get information. Um, you're being told a lot of things, some of which are just simply not true. Um, and you get mixed signals and you get told one thing and then you sort of see something else and you think, well, this doesn't really vibe, but how do I continue to keep asking without calling anybody a liar. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, it's very confusing to, to deal with, I think for people in media or fans or anything like that, like it takes a lot of emotional and intellectual processing to try to get through all of this, which is how abuse is allowed to happen is part of it is they just try to confuse the people who would act if they knew more. Um, and so I think that you say, yes, I think that them accepting Rory's resignation, is better than um, North Carolina waiting to see maybe just how mad everybody got before (laughs) letting Paul Riley go. But it's also just incredibly disappointing. This is not new information, and a lot of it is not secret. And I think that um, you even look at, and I say this as someone who cares about the club, um, they've let staff leave who are good people, even relatively recently, right? Um, they have held on to this head coach for years and years and years for reasons that no one could really pinpoint exactly what those were. And ultimately, they decided that it was worth it to keep him to the end of this season and then just turn this offseason into so much uncertainty rather than make a choice, actually be proactive, And we could be past this by now. And these players could be past this by now. And so that is incredibly disappointing. And I think also, and this is something that I want to talk about um, in the context of Chicago, because this is a change in my perspective from when I first started doing this. Um, 
is that I think a lot of what the Red Stars, and I say when I say the Red Stars, I mean ownership, and I mean entrenched ownership. I don't mean the people who came in this year. I don't think they knew about this. But um, the abuse of the rules and the abuse of the quote-unquote legitimate things that a club can do, and this is kind of where I'd say that this isn't a secret, that is something that is so baked into the identity of that club that I do understand why this was allowed to continue. Even past, you know, I don't know how much they knew about the verbal abuse, though, again, we all heard Rory talk on the sidelines, right? We all talked to Rory. Um, But it's that manipulation and abuse of the rules that was propped up, and I own this as well, as smart and, you know, astute, and this is good for the club. But even that itself was very manipulative, And I think for me, the thing that I'm struggling with right now is like, yes, Rory Dames is gone, but these rules are still in place. And so these teams are about to go into an expansion draft. And I don't understand exactly when you say, how do we stop this from happening? I don't know how you stop the abuse of the rules. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. But Also, the people who are saying, like, are basically trying to lead the league out. This is why I wrote about it in my column. The people who are trying to lead the league out of this situation and this 2021 year and everything that we have watched the league go through are the very owners who have designed the league that has enabled everything that's happened and that is a fundamental thing that i just cannot wrap my head around right and like yes there are investigations that are happening right oh the the sudden announcement of oh we've had this investigation underway for a number of weeks from the chicago red stars Right. right like what i have just seen from Again, we'll just call them the power brokers, right? Because, like, yes, to your point, I think it is entrenched ownership, but there are also other people in power yes. who have kind of bought in yes. to the system, right? right? Um, the power brokers in the NWSL have designed a system that has benefited ownership, mm-hmm. which, again, you can you can see how this happens. Right. Like, you can understand how the league got built the way it got built. And I think one of the big important things, too, that, that Molly Hensley Clancy did in that report was really show U.S. soccer's role in this. Yes. Because, like, with Paul Riley, they were sort of tangentially involved. And I think there was still a lot that we didn't really, like, I, I still don't know in terms of, like, how, how much U.S. soccer knew, right? Especially during that 2015 investigation. The Federation was still managing the league. Jeff Plush was fully aware, right? He would have been using U.S. soccer legal resources. But the fact that Sunil Gulati is named in that story, I think, is a big part of it. But also, right, like, NWSL is not kind of in this little island, and it never has been. Right. Yeah. So it's it's basically the entire... <laughs> Well, and the entire thing. And it's always and it is. And again, Molly did a beautiful job of this in the piece. Right. She she details this whole thing. Right. The 2018 investigation. Kristen Press talking. You know, they have Kristen Kristen Press's quotes from that time and now talking about this. Um, And then in there, Molly says, and U.S. soccer is also investigating the league. And so it's it's just this reminder that the same people who are investigating things now 
we're part of investigative processes like throughout the year. Like we are actually now starting to get a bigger picture year by year of the internal investigations that have even happened. Right. Right. So we're because finding n- out about none of these have ever been told. Right. Like we have no idea who was previously been in the only time that we've really ever gotten information about this really has been post anti-harassment policy which again we know how that got instituted but also when there has been generally like a result or something public where they have to admit that an investigation has been happening right i think the closest really that we've gotten before this is utah Mm -hmm. which again stemmed out of reporting right so it, it has always been forced by a very public thing and what i think is interesting right is that yes Again, the same people who have been in power are now trying to investigate how they themselves went wrong, mm-hmm. right? And there's always going to be that kind of unresolvable tension right. of how much that can happen. But I think the good thing is, is I actually do, like, I I pretty, <laughs> all of my hopes and dreams right at the moment, I think, are lying at the feet of Sally Yates. Yeah, right, right. Truly. Yeah. Like, because I do think that she is going to be enabled to be a true independent investigation. Yes. I am very hopeful that that report is going to be made public because if if none of these reports are made public, then what are we doing? Right. Right. Like, I mean, and that goes for teams and that goes for the league. Right. And I thought Marlon Messing gave a honestly very unsatisfying answer Mm -hmm. um, at the press conference before the championship where she was asked, you know, what will be shared? And she basically was like, well, if the players want it to be shared, I guess we'll talk about it. Well, it's just self-protection at every level still, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I think I, I, you think about it even in the larger, the par- the parallels between some of these stories as well. Um, one major one that I definitely felt was you talk about, I mean, I'm, you're keenly aware of Alex Morgan's role in, in the story that you reported, Kristen Press's role in the story that Molly just reported. And I was thinking like, it is amazing. And again, I think people come into this space or have come into this space with really good intentions, and it makes it very easy to be manipulated by by other people. And I was struck after the Paul Riley story by the way Portland um, afterwards spun their relationship with Morgan to make her seem like someone who was too demanding and that the club needed to get rid of. Chicago did the same thing with Kristen Press. And um, it... I would hope that we are now at the point where that that lie is no longer believed, but it's it really makes you reevaluate pretty much your relationship with every single thing that you thought because someone let you think that. Um, and it wasn't even someone let us right. think that. It, that was the narrative right. that was being told, pushed. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then and so I think that that element as well. In that, I'm not talking about coaches. I'm talking about the owners. I'm talking about the owners of these two clubs in a self-protective sort of way, telling people why you should like somehow this becomes them versus this player, and you should you should be on the club side because here's why the player here's all these lists of reasons why the player was wrong, and not only is that clearly not the full story, but they know what they're doing when they do something like that. Um, and I think that's also an element. I have I have one thing like a good example. I think of how this can get, I think people want to know how this all gets so twisted up and they want to know how information does or doesn't come out. And I have like uh, an example of that that came through this weekend um, that where it's it's hard to figure out what exactly is happening. So, and this is very mundane, what I'm about to say. And actually it's the kind of thing that in past years you'd be like, oh, well, someone forgot or they didn't have the staffing to do this on time. But here's an example of how a coach can manipulate things to lesson uh attention and like belief in a player so uh danny colaprico is a player who has played for the chicago red stars for since 2015 she has been a mainstay on that team she was their rookie of the year she about beginning of this season halfway through this season appears to be benched uh in in uh favor of sarah waldmo who plays incredibly well for the red stars there is a soccer explanation out there for this right Around that time, I asked Rory, I said, hey, is, is this a tactical decision? We know what's going on there. He said, yeah, purely tactical. He said, uh, Sarah Waldmo works better as a dual six with Morgan Gatra. Danny works better on her own. So we've been starting, starting uh, Waldmo, just a tactical, tactical decision that we made. Um, 
this weekend talking to Rory Dames at Media Day about the team's injuries. He kind of just slips into the conversation. Oh, and by the way, Danny's been hurt this entire year. I don't know if anybody knew that. As if he's not the person in charge of the injury report. <laughs> um, and As in, the league literally has an injury report that coaches are submo- supposed right. to submit information to. Right. And yeah. so this player's reputation was affected. Like, the he was he allowed all year people to think that Colaprico's form had just dipped or that yep. there was something else going on. Um, you When you ask a coach that and they say it's purely tactical, you don't know if they're being nice or not. Maybe they're trying to protect the player, you know. But not disclosing that a player is injured all year with expansion coming up, that's huge because that immediately, you know, maybe she goes unprotected on on the protection list. You say, oh, well, maybe that makes sense based on how she's been playing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if she can't get minutes on the field right now, right. then like – of course the team's going to leave her unprotected. Exactly. And so it's yeah. that kind of just very basic manipulation. And it's really hard to get to the truth of things when someone is just so willing to lie, not only in person, but through official channels. And so um, that is where I think the unprofessionalism of the league intersects with the people who want to control this narrative. Because if there was a higher level of professionalism with those injury reports, which were constantly late, and you knew that injuries were not being reported, they're, they're just those are the kind of little protections that players are supposed to have that they do not have. And so I just, I wanted to like put, I was like thinking of a good example of how this all gets so messed up. And I think that's a good one um, because there's no huge secret there. That is a, that is a soccer issue that a player is having and the team didn't disclose that. And so I think that like, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, that's one of the things that's popped into my head today, I guess. I mean, but when you even have the two teams during the championship questioning whether a player has truly cleared COVID protocols or not, after Washington spirit went through their entire situation, right? Which again, not communicated well, during any stretch, um, and then to have Mal Pugh kind of up in the air, right? And Rory Dames at that press conference is literally like, well, we'll see if she's out on the field. He knows yes, right. if she's... Like, what do you gain by making people wait 15 minutes right. to see if she's at training or not, right? The way that it was communicated across all levels, like, this is the kind of stuff where it erodes the trust... Mm-hmm. Right. For so much about, you know, people wanting to talk about transparency and building trust and all that kind of stuff. When the basic stuff can't get done the right way, how are people supposed to trust the league when the Rory Dame situation happens, when Paul Riley happens, when Fareed Benstidi happens, right. when Christy Holly happens, when Richie Burke happens, right? These are the problems that all that they're doing is just constantly eroding trust. Mm with little shit that should be very easy to handle. Right. Well, and it just leads you to believe that they're just not taking any of this seriously enough. I think that that like the, the Mal Pugh COVID protocol thing where you have a, someone like Rory. And again, this is what he does. He decides to get cute with it. Right. And then the league just kind of, I don't know if they weren't ready for that or what, but in that moment, it didn't feel like anybody was taking it quite seriously enough, and suddenly it became this big story. Um, and I think you see that on a lot of different levels, um, including I think that again, like I think that this idea that these little things don't also affect players, and it, it's it's amazing to me because I do think that even just media wise or the fan base of this league, it's fascinating because it is really built on these players as people. But in the soccer element of it, I don't know if it's because people are trying to really just focus on just what they would consider to be like normal sports reporting or or anything like that, but the human element of just even those little sporting decisions really gets lost, and all of that is magnified. And I know you know this, Meg, but it's magnified by the fact that these women don't get paid enough. And so... Mm -hmm. When you talk about something like an expansion draft, this is not like an NHL expansion draft where they can buy a new house and it's just really a relocation. It's not a huge deal. They can keep their old house, you know. Um, it's 
it changes their entire lives and the trajectory of their lives. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, and we're getting into, I think, talking as a media person who has probably spoken to Rory Dames as many times as anybody, um, you are, again, kind of told that this is just the sort of stuff that you need to put up with if you want to cover the team. And one of the precarious things specifically in Chicago is that nobody covers the team. Yeah. And so if at any point you start pulling away, then there's no safety net there. And so these these players don't even get their games talked about. They speak to no one before or after games. Just handling the basic stuff is is massive in that market. And so when you do have for years, a team say, well, that's just Rory being Rory. You keep showing up because you need to keep doing that so that these players feel like anybody is paying attention to what's going on. Um, And so that is also frustrating because that is another element where you, the team's relationship to media is very poor. It's not good. Um, And, that is something that I do think ultimately stems from the philosophies that led to Rory being in place for so long. So No one was asking questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think about when I started right in for, for NWSL, like I had gotten back into soccer before that, but I started with the Boston breakers and for that entire team's existence, it was me and Steph mm-hmm. and list. Right. And knowing, you know, that that team probably still needs to go through a full accounting of what happened. There's and when, more but no. story there. Right. Yeah. Oh, one thousand percent. But again, like what I think to your point, one of the things about what we've all been thinking about, you know, having watched Rory coach on the sidelines, having watched Paul Riley coach on the sidelines, mm-hmm. having watched Tom Durkin mm-hmm. coach on the sidelines and what has been again normalized right like thinking about what Kristen press said right. about when she tried to flag rory dames's behavior in 2014 and sunil galati according to this report just basically said that's coaching that's just tough coaching right that's just tough coaching right and you know i think that has been something that a lot of people have had to grapple with in terms of you know sometimes even in the moment you'd look at each other and be like what is happening right but do you have the resources to actually take that kind of reaction into something that's going to change it, right? right. And, and that's, that's been the big challenge, and I think that has been one of the big differences of this year, right, is that now people are actually in places to go through the full yeah. process right. of reporting, right? right? And, and that's good and important, but also, again, thinking about, Kristen Press trying to report Rory Dames multiple times, Monashim in 2015, right? There have been players who have been trying. Yes. So again, the just, like I just keep thinking, it it goes so far beyond the word failure because nothing was actually going wrong. Right. Because that's how the NWSL has been built. Yes, right. No, it's, Rory Dames is probably actually the perfect example of that. Uh, in that this belief that he never crossed the line, right? He just walks right up to the line and he stops. And they, but where they have placed that line is not okay. And so when you have a person where there are a few people, I'm sure there are people who still believe this, who believe that he never crossed the line in a professional capacity. Um, But that's because their value system isn't where it needs to be. yeah, and I and I I agree that um, I I agree that having people in positions to be able to do deeper investigative journalism is so important, and that is including having a team of editors and a legal department and hours in a day and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, and I also think that it's good to have all of it, right? So it's important to have people covering the games and it's important to have people doing investigative journalism. Yes. And the fact that we are at a point where multiple things are happening at once 
does make me feel a lot better. It really does because it makes it feel like everybody has the resource capacity to do work on a lot of sides of this, which I think is really good because, you know, Meg, three, four years ago, none of this was here. Um, no. And then Zero. I think the other thing is uh, as important as investigative journalism is, it can't become a substitute for processes. I don't want to. I don't want to be the HR department of the NWSL. Exactly, right. I truly, yeah. I have zero yeah. interest in being the HR department of the, the NWSL. I'm sure Molly's the same way. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's the problem. Um, to yeah. be completely honest, one of the demands from Chicago Local 134 is for the Red Stars to even acknowledge that they have an HR department and they have not yet done that. That's how bad this is. Yeah. Um, and that's another issue with the Red Stars specifically, and I don't think they're alone in this. I, I do not want to single them out because I think that it's clear that this is a league-wide problem. But um, I think there are still some clubs that operate as if we're still in 2014 or we're still in 2015. Yeah. And there are some things that have improved. Um, but there are excuses and, and, and sort of, again, this self-protection of if you talk about this, we will fail. That Yeah. It wasn't acceptable at the beginning, but it's really not acceptable now. And yeah. and I think that's yeah. that's been one of the good things of 2021, yeah. right? Is that it's everyone just another has lie, just, right? Yeah, it is yeah. a thousand percent, right? And also, it is no one's responsibility at the level of like players, media. It is not the responsibility of these people to be like the security and safety of the NWSL is my priority. Right. And I think that's why 2021, like for as bad as everything has gotten, right. There is still, I think hope for the league, not as an institution, but as an idea, right. As a concept, mm -hmm. because the players have been enabled to lead finally. And they have, truly just hand wave this idea of shut up, be grateful, right. just play. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think I going forward as well, like I, I think that part of being player first is truly giving them time as well. I mean, that's the other thing with stories being told about coaches on, on the record or, or anonymous or on background is part of being player first is letting players tell their story when they're ready Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, I mean, every we've had this conversation a million times this year, but sometimes that means letting them do their job when they want to focus on their job um, and trusting that they have as much of a stake in this as anybody. And I think that's going to be a, an ongoing conversation as we do reach some of the conclusions of these investigations where we're going to have to place a little bit of trust in the Players Association to make the choices that are best for them. And they're going to be doing it with information that we don't have. And so yeah. I think that that is going to be something that we will do our best to obviously like cover and discuss. But it, it is kind of this basic, again, disconnect of what sort of uneasy truce does this end in with the people who are still part of the league who let this happen? Right. And I also think there's there's also going to be tension even between the current players and then the players who have kind of lost their way out of this league mm -hmm. because of what has happened. Like I'm thinking about Monashim, sure. Sinead Fairley, like Kaya McCullough, right? right? Just in terms of they're going to have, I think, a much stronger desire yes. for reform. Yes. And so like if we're talking about a spectrum in terms of of what people are going to want to see coming out of policies and reforms, right? And this kind of, you know, NWSL likes to to throw a good systemic transformation oh, in a yeah. press release, it's right? It's all systemic, baby. Yeah. Yep. And um how do you can we get to some sort of compromise, right, between the players who have spoken up mm -hmm. and who have taken that risk yes. and then the players who are still in the system where – because for, for so many of these players, right, they have spoken up because they want current players to feel safe yes. and they want these patterns to stop, right? And so – but again, I think fundamentally, like, the league has changed even a bit, right, since since some of these initial reports – 
in terms of like 2014, 2015, 2018, right to now. And you can see kind of the NWL having two paths before it, right? And there is a path forward where there is, I don't want to, I don't know about systemic transformation, right? But there's enough where NWCLPA has been empowered. Hopefully Black Women's Players Collective has been way more empowered. (laughs) And there is some sort of rebuilding of the airplane as it's mid-flight by the players. Yeah, I think bringing up the Black Women's Players Collective is really important as well because another thing that struck me about all of these stories um, is you have the story about whether it's like emotional abuse, right, or or sexual coercion. And then somewhere in there, they're like, oh, and he's also racist. And (laughs) it's not great that we are still in this place. And this is where the NWSL, I think, actually has the furthest to go is the NWSL has never fully reckoned with what happened last year at all, even amongst these teams. And this is, again, where the Players Association, not everyone is going to feel the same way about everything within that union. Um, And so I think that we're not, it's not always going to be unified at all times because we've seen the divisions within teams about that particular issue. Um, It also seems like, racism in the league is still not being taken seriously at all. And so now we finally come to this point where like, okay, we're taking verbal abuse seriously. We're taking grooming seriously. We're taking all of these things seriously. I don't think racism is part of that discussion right now. Um, And I think that that is where it's just these things, it's going to keep going. It's just going to keep going until we can actually whittle down the things that are actually important. Um, And so I agree. I really hope that the Black Women's Players Collective is not only empowered, but protected. And I always want to be very mindful of whenever they also just want to do their job, you know? Um, And the dream is that they can just do that without uh, people or things getting in the way of that. Um, And so, right, it's like just step one, step one of many But I do think, and other people have said this before, but I think the league's unwillingness, and this was Lisa Baer, but it was also just everybody else, but their unwillingness to fully want to change in the face of what happened in the 2020 Challenge Cup in terms of this league's relationship to racism and how it intersects with sexism, uh, was a it was it was an indicator of of what this year was going to be on an institutional level. And so I just haven't forgotten that we still haven't dealt with that part yet as well. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's also, we can even add another element to this too, right? With the Paul Riley story, he specifically also targeted Manishim and Sinead Farley because they were queer. Right. In many ways, like he was obsessed with that. But also I think about um, watching broadcasts where Quinn Mm -hmm. and the the announcers cannot handle pronouns. Uh, and just even in the middle of a of a feature, right? <laughs> a planned <laughs> them, segment, right? Yeah, a planned segment, and like again, some of this it boils down to individual mistakes. But again, when you look at the bigger picture, right there, there is also this element, and so much of what this league has done has been for optics instead of right. actually ensuring basic protections and doing kind of that basic work to ensure that players are safe and but yeah i mean you go into where i'm still confused a little bit um is i i I did i did again find it confusing in the second half of this season where you do have even players on the chicago red stars just saying that they feel like okay about about some of the stuff the team is doing or they feel really good about the advocacy of the players association and yet rory dames still had his job until monday morning right and so I don't know if that is a factor of many things possibly being true or people trying to protect themselves or, you know, I think that this is, again, just where we're going to be told soon and also not so soon that things are better now. And I think that it's going to be a whole new process to figure out if that is actually accurate um, and accurate for everybody as well, I think is just a good facet to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think 
one of the questions I get asked the most, right, when I'm doing other stuff is just like, well, where do we go from here, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the whiplash of the weekend in Louisville into Monday, right, has kind of brought everyone back down to earth Mm -hmm. a little bit in terms of it didn't feel like we were past it, right, but it did feel kind of like not even a return to normal either, right? We were in a location that was not the original location of the championship, mm-hmm. though I would like, and I do want to give full credit to to Racing Louisville FC, to the city for making that championship feel like it had been planned forever, right? Like it was truly an event. Um, it felt also the, the fact that sponsors were there in such a significant way, yes, right? right? Like it felt like an event for the first time ever, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Truly. Um, and the fact that also, again, sponsors are, are doubling down in the league yes. at this point, which I think is the correct decision. Right. Because, again, fundamentally, I don't think that they're investing in the league as an institution. I, they are investing it into it as a business, but I think they've also realized that the players are the core. Right. <laughs> right. And so you see someone like Ally Bank coming in and directly working with the Players Association as well and so much money directly going to the players, not into league sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, there are good parts of it, but I just my brain just keeps coming back to this moment in the press conference with interim CEO, CEO Marla Messing, where she just basically said, I want to, I want to focus on the good stuff. And it feels so bad to me. Yeah. It feels so bad to me. And I like, I've been on the inside and I understand that it can feel like no one is talking about the progress that's being made and there is progress that's being made, but we we just now know what the progress has cost. Right. And I think as well, this you're right that I felt encouraged after this weekend. I thought, like, I mean, this is going to sound really lame, but I thought that Ally and MasterCard did a great job. Um, <laughs> and Budweiser, you know, not to like shout out the brands, but... And even just again, brand. There are people who work for those for those brands, and we got to meet some of them for the first time. And those people want this league to succeed, and yep. they do see the good parts, you know. And I think that um, it's easy from the league side to think that people aren't acknowledging the good parts or seeing it, but it's just because they think that the things that are bad are more important right now, which is just objectively true. Um, and I, I think that, right. It just, again, speaks to the unwillingness to truly reflect on how bad this was. Um, because I think that that is where things have gotten, things have gotten lost or even, I mean, that's the thing that blew me away about the quotes you got in in your piece, Meg, like the quotes that you got in before it went published where I was just like, no one thinks this is this bad. Um, and yeah. you say it's all the same people, right? Um, yep. And then, oh, the other thought that I did have is obviously this league has not reached a breaking point, right? With the support that they've gotten. But I think the Rory Dames timing is a reminder that if this keeps happening, there will be one. This is not... The goodwill of not only fans and players and sponsors, it has a breaking point. And the fact that we have not reached it yet speaks to just how committed everybody is. But if the league messes up this reform and these stories continue to come out, the league should not withstand that, and and they won't. Yeah, and they don't deserve to. They don't deserve to, right, yeah. That that was really one of my, you know, writing the Paul Riley story in the before parts, right, of just feeling this, they don't deserve to withstand right. what's about to happen, right? They, like, the league is not, again, I, I focus on the word sustainable, right, because that is the defining word of this league, and it has been for so long. But it's not sustainable the way that it's been built. Yeah. And just the big question is, is do people have the courage to truly 
pull this thing apart right and figure out a way for like that's that is just kind of going to be the defining question of the next year is are there people who are actually going to not worry about the credit not worry about <laughs> not get defensive mm-hmm. right like you have to allow people to be angry and frustrated right now. Yeah. And complaining about people being angry and frustrated when we've looked at what's happened, right? Those are valid emotions to have. And yes, it's like big and messy and it like it's not as as simple as just making it better, right? But you have to allow people to kind of process this as it's happening. Right. And then thinking about pulling what has been built, again, to benefit a very small part of this league, Mm -hmm. pulling that down and building it into something better, that's a big ask for people in power. I think it's also, and this is kind of just how messed up all of this is, I think there are a certain number of people in the league where it's very scary for them to maybe do all these reforms and people don't like them anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's the ultimately very scary thing. Part of the control here is they've set up a system where it doesn't matter if players like them or if players have had a good experience at their club. It doesn't actually matter because they don't really have much of a choice. But if you do reform this and actually give the power back, you might still not get chosen and there might not be gratitude for that. And that is an equal system that allows other people to feel the way that they feel and move through their own careers the way that they want to. And I think if you get down to the core of it, a number of these owners are very afraid that if they actually level the playing field here, they're still not getting picked. And I think that's a concession that they don't want to make, which is why even with whatever rules rollback we're going to see, there's going to be protections there that give them that upper hand because I'm not sure they know if they can hang if they are on an equal playing field with everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, I think that we've, we've always really seen that in the just kind of the internal politics Mm -hmm. of the board, which I think are very hard to follow for people who aren't super close to it. But I mean, even looking at kind of what's happened with Angel City and some of the reaction from entrenched Mm -hmm. Um, folks in the league to what Angel City has come in and been, you know, like big and brash and yeah. and um, that's not the status quo of the NWSL. But to be like, you know, Kansas City's kind of in that same boat, right. like maybe a little more uh, nice in they're, a Midwest fashion. Right, they're about more, it, they're but... more friendly. They say, oh, yeah. when they <laughs> do a break round <laughs> oh, on their stadium. Oh, 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 that's a new training <laughs> facility. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the ownership has changed. And I think the teams that we're seeing struggle with that, Mm -hmm. right? Chicago, Washington, Mm -hmm. Gotham's gone through their own stuff. Like there, there always kind of has been this North Carolina too, right? Like how deep are some pockets, Mm -hmm. right? And how nervous are you about being left behind when, as, as the league grows, as expansion happens, right? Um, And that I think has also contributed to a lot of the stuff of just, Again, sustainability, you 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 worry about keeping those costs down. Yep. You worry about, well, eventually this is probably going to be worth some money and I can sell it. Right. It's all part of it. Yeah. And I and again, I think Chicago really hurt themselves by waiting this long to really expose some stuff because I think if we should have been having this conversation at least a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the health of the organization. And I don't know what happens now for them, to be completely honest. And a lot of it comes from sort of white-knuckling it through this year and just thinking that somehow they'll make it make it through, you know? Yeah. I mean, yes, last year, but also I feel like the writing is on the wall by the time September, October Absolutely. rolls around. Oh, yeah. This year? Right. Yeah. And you, at this point, like, you have to know. Right. You have to know that it's coming. Right. Because again, and not secret. <laughs> Very public. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you think that, um, you know, obviously 
the the managing owner of that team has been there a really long time and has has been in that position a really long time but there were new owners who who came in and I I just knowing some of that ownership that comes in obviously it's at a much smaller percent but I think that they're going to be pushing that team in a much more kind of aggressive direction is there is there a path out or does it result probably in some sort of ownership change because I'm leaning toward the latter. I think you go back to the concept of trust. I think new ownership trusted the managing ownership of this this team and has not had that trust rewarded. And so again, people come in with very good intentions. I mean, the moment even the new ownership came in, Arnim Whistler said in that opening press conference, this was day 1. He said they have a new perspective on things we could be doing better or standards that need to be at a certain level. And I do think some of it just comes from that managing philosophy of not pampering anybody maybe, or it, it's it's all really woven into the, again, just who this team is. Um, yes, I do think new ownership cares. I think many of them did not feel coming into this like they knew the space that well. I bet they feel like they know it a lot better now. <laughs> and now I think they can start telling rather than asking. Um, but I also think, I think what I don't know, and I'll say this just straight up. I don't know with the managing ownership with Arnhem Whistler, when you talk about the little untruths or the half-truths that you're told, we've been told for a long time that the money isn't there. I don't think we actually know 100% that that is true. And if the money, because for example, Sky Blue or Gotham did not have mm -hmm. major ownership changes. They just started allocating more resources to the team. Um, if it is true that the money is not there, um, there absolutely has to be a change in ownership because otherwise this team is never going to be able to compete. They're just not. Um, if the money is there, I think you also need a change in ownership because why would you suppress that this long? And so I think that if you look at it on either side, um, yeah, I, 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 the kindest way I can look at it is Arnhem Whistler went through the death of WPS, and I think that that very much has informed the way he has run this club. And I respect that in a way, right? It's not useful anymore. It's actually not useful information at this point. And that combined with, God, just a lack of bravery to take steps forward I, I just I don't see I don't see exactly how that can can continue because again I just do think that that trust at this point is eroded because Chicago ran on that for a long time the trust and the expertise and when that is this flawed yeah I don't know exactly but I am yeah. very happy I am very glad that the new ownership is there I know again like their percentages are not that high um but I feel better about what might be able to happen in the future simply because they're on the calls and, yeah. and they have a they have a voice in that exactly. yeah in that yeah. conversation right. for sure yeah all right well <laughs> I feel like we didn't talk about the championship I do at all, but I so. want to a little bit I want to a little yeah. bit because yeah because look at what that team did though I I feel I like we're getting what they did was so impressive even before this story came out but if you think about what those players have gone through on the field and off what they did this year was very special. And I just, I, I want to, I do want to say that because I think when you don't win the game, right, you're not getting the headlines, but um, it's also an example of, man, if you just handle this six months ago, I don't know, what, maybe what you changes? win this game, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it it is interesting now because we, we do have, the full picture of what these two teams in this game mm -hmm. were handling, right? And I think we saw with Washington, yep. right? I don't want to say that it was easy, but at least I think they 
when the coaching change happens, right, and after these forfeits, the entire approach to that season changes. And Kelly O'Hara spoke about it after the game of, right, we can control one thing right now, and that's winning. Right. And to see the way that that team came together and I think believed in each other on the field, right, despite everything else going on and, and, you know, knowing just from our own Washington Spirit reporting, like, all of the stuff that is happening behind the scenes that is extremely messy and, and trickling down. And some folks care about protecting the players from these conversations and trying to like not have to put it on their shoulders and others less so. Right. Um, but just, just knowing kind of what that team, what the Washington spirit have been through now, what Chicago Red Stars have been through um, to have that final, to have it be, game that goes into extra time, right? That is really dynamic in front of, you know, over 10,000 people in that stadium. Um, Again, I think, you know, people, we have to hold all of this information kind of at the same time. Right. And I think it is important to not lose sight of the soccer because the players have really asked us to not lose sight of the soccer at that, at this point as well. Right. Like they have wanted to play. Um, and, you know, I think that championship was, you know, 525,000 viewers on CBS. Yeah. That's a win. The event, the weekend was a big success. It really was. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the viewership numbers, it's just this whole idea that nobody's going anywhere. I just don't think anybody's going anywhere. Um, and it's good to be reminded of that. Like you said, props to Louisville, um, props to the sponsorship for the sponsors for stepping up or even just those in the league office who put this event together. Um, it felt like a proper championship and I'm, I am a little bit amazed even, um, not just in the bad press that the league has gotten this year, but just sort of the momentum lost last year to be able to come back and have this happen and have the game be really competitive and again, that's, you know, you just really also just want to give props to the Red Stars for they they sacrificed everything to give the league a shining moment, you know, and they, they didn't win it. But they participated in that, right? They participated yeah. in this all going very well. And um, yeah, I I was struck this weekend. Maybe I'll just end on this. I was struck this weekend by how smart these two teams are. Um, when you talk to them about off-field things, but even when you talk to them about soccer, both of these teams have really impressive soccer minds on them. Um, they have people who have shouldered, you know, they've gotten very good at, they've got the certain people who shoulder emotional burdens and are very good at that in their leadership structure. And then they've got the people whose job it is to sort of like be the mechanic of the team in terms of the on the field. Here are the adjustments that we make. Here's how we figured out our style of play. They're all really proud of each other, and it's not like a general I'm proud. It's like I can tell you six things that that player did throughout this year to tune up exactly what they were doing, and you saw that play out on on Saturday. And I think that that's those are the conversations that I want to continue. I want that to also be a takeaway, which is that not only are these players really talented and good at soccer, but they have had to be so mature both emotionally and intellectually this year and they have risen to that and that's the thing that keeps people coming back I think and so there's hope within that right it's all very intense but there is still hope there um so yeah no I think that's a good Good spot for us to end on. So I definitely appreciate your time. I feel like these conversations have been going for a while and we're just going to keep having them until, you know, until things get better. It's hard, but it's necessary, right? And so um, I hope that everybody, I mean, I just, again, my hope for the players and my hope for, for everybody is that uh, there is a little bit of, well, this needed to happen. It's painful, but necessary. And it means that there is actual real hope for like a better 
future for the club and, and for the league. All right. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks to Claire for her time and just subscribe and support the kind of coverage that you want to see on this sport. All right. One more thing. I, I did tweet this on Saturday from the field as I stood on a pile of confetti and had it literally everywhere all over me. But thank you to everyone who has supported this coverage and the work that we have done this season. It has been exhausting, rewarding, frustrating as all hell, important, silly at times, overwhelming, and never enough. The community has been through a lot, and the support has always been so clear. So thank you. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more info about the show. Again, subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. We are into our holiday promo for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and it's the absolute best deal of the year. $1 a month for your new subscription. Get on it before next Monday at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thank you for listening. Thank you.